Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. Well, now we've taken a few weeks to look at five of the favorite tactics that the enemy uses. Five of the favorite tactics that the devil uses. And by the way, the devil is your enemy. Satan, your adversary. The Bible talks about him being a, a, a murderer, a father of lies, a deceiver. He steals, kills, and destroys. He is against you. He's against God. He's against the purposes of God. Has been uh, ever since he rebelled against God in the beginning. Now, so there are five tactics or schemes that we've been talking about. There are others, but the five favorite ones, I think, that are used on people today. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 talks about, Paul says, you don't need to be ignorant. Don't be ignorant about the devices or the schemes or tactics of the devil. In other words, don't let them take advantage of you. And let's make sure we get this down deep inside of us. We're talking about the tactics of the enemy, what the devil will do to try to come against you, work in your life, work against you. But let me always preface this with the fact that everything that the enemy has brought against you, Jesus has defeated and given us a way to victory. Everything. Everything. So you can know that whatever he has, comes against you with, that through the power, the resurrection, the power of Jesus, that has been defeated. You are an overcomer. These things do not, if they may come against you, but they do not have to have a place in your life. You can rule and reign over them. We look, first of all, at deception, the power of deception. Then we looked at dread or fear. Then we took a look at the tactic of discouragement and how that so often is a weapon used against us. And then last week we started looking at distractions, distractions. And we do live in a world of distractions today. Smartphones, uh, all, all the, the computers, media, day-to-day -day routine, busyness, circumstances, being uh, sickness, troubles, material things, uh, worried about finances, stuff, religion where you substitute activity for a real relationship with God. All those things can distract you. And distraction means to take you off course. It means to divert your attention. It means to take you from uh, a more important, something that's more important, to something else that's less important. The power of distraction. It's affected so many people's lives. And this we need to remember. That if you and I are continually being distracted by something, remember, our attention is often drawn to or runs to things that are really important to us. So we can look at distractions and sometimes it reveals a lot about our heart. Where we are. Where our focus is. Where our interests interest are. So what do you do when these distractions come against you? You remember? One thing you do, you can just turn them off. There are certain things you can turn off. You can turn off the phone. I know some of you would, you know, begin to, to shake and tremble and, you know, break out. You know, that things, you can turn your phone off. Well, I, I just come to notice more and more and more how so many of the new phones are attached to people's hands. And I don't know where that's a, a something new that they've added to that, but I've noticed in the last year or so, there's something about the phones being attached to the hand. It doesn't matter whether you're eating, where you're at the table, where you're visiting with someone, where it doesn't matter. They're just there. 
And I, and I am kind of a people observer, observer. And so, you know, I do watch those things in, in, uh, in restaurants where everybody sits around the table because they decide to go out together and eat. And yet no one's talking. They're not talking to one another. Everybody has their phone. And what's amazing to me, I can be sitting in an area where you've got several people watching a television show, but they're also on the phone. And it's amazing the control that this thing's got over people. And so, yeah, there's times just to cut it off. And I, and I know that in our world, it's a, it's a tremendous convenience. It's, it's a tool. But we have to learn to limit it. We have to learn to control it and other media devices and games and so on and so forth. We have to learn to limit them so that they don't control us. Yes? Amen. It takes discipline, but you can do it. Then we need to plan ahead. You can avoid distractions by going ahead and planning ahead, sometimes making a list. Prioritize your time. Remove physical clutter around you that can distract you. And then learn to keep the main thing the main thing. In other words, this is a spiritual thing where you learn to focus on Jesus and focus on His will, His purpose, what He wants to do. He directs yourself. The Bible says that the steps of a righteous are ordered of the Lord. Now, Hebrews chapter uh, 12, the first part of verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Amplified Bible says, looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus. So we can do it. In Proverbs chapter 4, we have in verse 25 and 26 in the Amplified, the Bible says, let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. That doesn't sound like being distracted, does it, about distraction. Consider well and watch carefully the path of your feet and your ways will be steadfast and sure. So distraction is a powerful tool of the enemy. Now, today we're looking at relationship distractions. Relationship distractions. And this is so important that it couldn't be included in last week's. Just didn't have time. This is such a crucial area for all of us, I think. It's very practical. It's, uh, it's very direct. It shows us some things that I think we need to know and be aware of when it comes to relationships. Now, you know I, I can't possibly do justice to in teaching about what the Bible says about relationships just in a, in a few minutes on Sunday morning. But we're going to hit on uh, um, two particular angles, look at two angles or aspects of relationships. First... How distractions harm relationships. Distractions hurt or harm relationships. And we know that's true. We know that in, in a world where there we have all these conveniences and all these ways to communicate, that there's still not a lot of communication going on. In fact, it's been detrimental to real communication. So distractions harm relationships. It can hinder real communication like being tied up, used to as being tied up in a book or newspaper, now it's being tied up on the phone or Facebook, so on and so forth, or TV. It can steal valuable together time. It can rob you of time, even with the one that you love, won't be because you just got your mind on something else. You don't really think of it that way at the moment. You don't think, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm ignoring that person right now. That's it's usually not the way it is. I'm just not, I'm not going to pay attention to you. That's not the way it is. It's just distractions have a way of attaching themselves to you and you begin to look all around and you lose your focus and your attention is drawn somewhere else. And so it robs you of together time with people that you really care about. 
Another thing that distractions, a way it can harm relationships, is it can cause real frustration and strife. I'm trying to talk to someone and you can't get their attention and you really see that they're not really interested in hearing you. Now, there's times that communication and, and talking with people can, uh, is, works much better as far as not being distracted. Uh, some people seem to find the most inopportune times to try to talk with you. You know, like during certain plays, the Alabama and Auburn game, or, you know, <laughs> things like that. It's just that, well, you get my drift there. It can cause frustration and strive. It can destroy or actually bring an end to a relationship. Distractions can take you away, can divide destroy relationships, and distractions can harm relationships by affecting you uh, spiritually, your relationship with God. The real focus today, I'm going to look at the second angle. First angle is how distractions can hurt relationships. The second angle is how relationships can distract you. We'll just let that settle in for just a moment. That relationships can actually be the means that the enemy uses to distract you. Now, relationship basically is how you're connected or associated with someone else. Synonyms for relation, uh, relationships are kinship, affair, alliance. You know, God designed us for relationships. I mean, look, it's not good for a man to be alone. God planned the family unit. He planned as far as bringing the people together, the families, the unit of families, and to the tribes of Israel. He's given us the church, which is the family of God. God's all about relationships. You can find, especially in the New Testament, you can find how important the one another's are in the Scripture, that He's all about good, solid, the right kind of relationships. Of course, in recent years, the word relationship has been overused and misused. As often you can see in people's news media and trying to get the word out on Facebook, you put the picture of a good-looking guy or a pretty young lady or you put a couple standing together and put, we're in a relationship. I'm in a relationship. Until maybe about six months or so later and then there are pictures with someone else and I'm in a relationship. We need to, be, we need to know what real relationships are all about. So it's kind of used carelessly and overused many times today about what a real relationship with it. Now, there are levels of relationships. There's no relationship. There's bad relationships. There's distant. There's cordial. There's close. There's intimate relationships. There's always, in, in relationships with others, you're always, there's always those that you follow, those that you walk beside, and those that you lead. Now, there are categories of relationships. We have friends and parents and spouses and children and co-workers and what we call boy-girl or man-woman relationships. I want to ask you a question. In which one of these categories is the most dangerous when it, become, when it comes to being a distraction? Out of all those, out of friends, parents, spouses, children, co-workers, boy-girl friends... Which one do you think is the most dangerous when it comes to distractions? It's boy, girl. It's man, woman. That's usually 
the most distracting of all relationships. And the enemy knows that and oftentimes uses those types of relationships to actually uh, distract that person, first of all, from their relationship with God and secondly, from God's purpose for their life and it can take them in a direction that they don't need to go. Uh, my, there's a lot of examples in Scripture. One of the first ones that comes to mind is a man by the name of Samson. All of you that know anything about your Bible, you know who Samson was, right? Wave at me. Yeah, I remember Samson. Okay. Well, Samson, you read about in the Old Testament in Judges chapter 13 through 16. And uh, he was the final judge in Israel that God set up as the final judge in Israel. Uh, he was a Nazarite. And he took a Nazarite vow. And uh, the Nazarite vow that you see in the Old Testament was completely voluntary. It was a vow of dedication and consecration to the Lord. Comes to the word N-A-Z-I-R, Nazir, which means to be separated or consecrated. It is voluntary. It could be a vow taken by men or women. It could be taken for particular uh, uh, reasons and at particular times. And it could be rescinded. So when you took a Nazarite vow, you promised to do this. You promised to abstain from wine, grapes, seeds, raisins, anything that had to do with a grape. You abstain from it completely. Vinegar, wine, anything. You abstain from wine. You refrain from cutting your hair. And you vow that you would not go near a dead body. Now, God uses the most interesting people sometimes, doesn't he? I mean, even in the world today, even in leadership today, God uses some very unusual people actually to accomplish his purpose. It's nothing new. He's done this a lot of times. We're saying, well, God, I really wouldn't have picked that person if I'd been in charge. And he may just answer you and say, yeah, but you're not in charge. And God always does things right. God's never made a mistake throughout eternity. Everything that he says is true. Even if what he said was not true when he said it, it would be true. God is a God of truth. He can only speak truth. He is all good, no evil. So when we look at uh, when we look at Samson, you realize a very interesting person that was set aside by the Lord or chosen by God as an agent to begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines, which were their enemies. They had been taken captive by these horrible people. Now, Samson was rather reckless <laughs> and immature. You read very much about his early life. He, he made some bad decisions. And he wasn't very good when it came to relationships with women either. That's true of a lot of your Old Testament folks. You can understand this. there's always going to be problems if a guy's got several wives and some of them had, you know, 100, 200 and some concubines to go along with it. So there's bound to be some problems. But with Samson, he started off, married a woman. He went and he saw... He, saw this woman and he, he liked her. He wanted to marry her and he went back to mom and dad and said, go get her for me. You know, still, there, were, there were small children back then, you understand. Small teenagers. Go, I want her. And the parents said, well, now look, you know, she's a Philistine. 
You're a member of the tribe of Dan. You're an Israelite. I don't think she's the right one for you, but how many of you know when you get a teenager, a young man that sees a woman that he says, I want her, it's hard for anyone to discourage. And his parents finally gave in, which still happens today too. <laughs> gave in to him. He finally ended up with this woman, the Philistine, as his, as his wife. She actually betrayed him to the enemy. And I can't go into details of what happened to her. It wasn't good. What happened to her, what happened to family, it wasn't good. You can go back to those chapters in Judges if you don't remember and read that. But then the next relationship he had was with a prostitute. And that's saying it nicely. King James doesn't say it that nice. But was with a prostitute. And then along comes Delilah, his third wife, Delilah. And amazing, a powerful warrior was destroyed by a woman. So we do have to properly understand what the New Testament means when it says that she's a weaker vessel. And we can't go into that today either, but the Philistines bribed Delilah. They promised her silver. Each one of them that came to bribe promised her silver. If you'll get the secret of Samson's strength, because you know, if you read the stories just prior to this, as his hair grew longer, this, this, was, this, this is what was used for his strength. Long hair was something, you know, I don't, can't explain it. I don't know why it worked out that way. Maybe it was just a symbol of fact of his vow and commitment to God and that is he kept that vow of strength. God would come upon him in a miraculous sort of way. The power of God would and he would do miraculous things with super, supernatural strength. And this long hair was a key to that. Well, when they come in to bribe Delilah, that they, they want to capture Samson. And so tell us, tell us the secret of what really makes him strong. And so she uses lies and manipulation and she goes to Samson three times to ask him, oh, sweetie, sweetheart, darling, I was wondering, you know, I love you and I know you love me and you're so strong. What is it? What's the secret? To your strength. And then uh, he says, well, you need to take seven strings from a bow, a bow and arrow, take seven strings and tie me with them and I cannot break from them. So she, she does this probably while he's asleep, binds him with those seven bow strings and calls for the enemy to come in and get him. And when they come in to get him, he breaks those strings and kills the enemy. One, one, one time. So after that, we're not told exactly how long. She says, why, did you, why didn't you tell me the truth? What really is a secret of your strength? Samson said, well, you need to tie me or bind me with two new ropes. And I, I, I won't be. So same thing happens. I think he probably went to sleep and she did this. The guy needed to be, this guy shouldn't have slept so much. And... <laughs> And so she finds him, and the same thing happens. Calls for the calls for Philistines to come in. He breaks those ropes and he, and, and tacks them and wipes them out, defeats the enemy. Two. And then a third time, she says, "Why aren't you telling me the truth here? Please tell me the secret of your strength." And he says, "Okay." <laughs> 
I mean, he was lying to her every time. So I don't condone, but he, he said, um, you need to, he wanted dreadlocks. It, it, you need to weave my hair in and with, with material, with cloth. And if you do that, then I'll lose my strength. So she did that. And the enemy called for the enemy. The enemy came against him. Boom, he destroys them again. Three. So finally, finally, let's, uh, let me see here. Uh, finally, he comes down to Judges chapter 16, verse 15. Then Delilah pouted, this New Living Translation. <laughs> you know, I, I, I could go somewhere with that, but I'm not this morning. <laughs> then Delilah pouted and said, how can you tell me that, how can you say I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? If you really loved me, you would do this. Let me tell you, teenagers, and even older folks, someone says, if you really loved me, look out. Manipulation's going on here. Look out. So it says, if you really loved me, you tell me. You're making fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. So he told her. He told her the truth. Guy went to sleep again. Guess what happened? He gets a free haircut. And then when the enemy's called in, they take him captive. He gets up and begins to fight them, not realizing that his strength, that the strength that God had given him had departed. It's a horrible story. And they take him captive. They gouge out his eyes and attach him to a device to grind wheat, a large grinder to pull around to grind uh, grain. Time passes by for a while, and as time's passing by, and he's in this horrible captive state, his hair grows. And then finally they decide, the Philistine side, we're going to have a day of celebration and celebrate our God, little g, our God, Dagon or Dagon. I think it's kind of like a byword people say today, Dagon, but I don't think that's exactly <laughs> what it was then. But they're, they're, they're God. And so... They're there to celebrate and worship that God. Someone said, hey, you remember Samson? You understand I'm, parapha I'm paraphrasing just a little bit here, but this is the essence of the story. Let's get Samson to come on in here, and what a spectacle. Let's let him come in and entertain. We've taken him captive. So they bring Samson in, and they haven't noticed that his hair has grown. And he finally has someone, that he's in change, and he has someone to bind him to the large pillars of the temple there of the God and he prays, says, one more time, God, strength one more time. And he has supernatural strength and pushes those pillars apart. And the temple, the buildings come crashing down upon him and upon the enemy. Tragic. Tragic. Well, that was a problem. That relationship distracted that man. In fact, it seems like woman relationships in general distracted him. Then there was David, a man after God's own heart, a mighty warrior and king, who decided one day, you know, I've been busy, I'm going out to battle all these, uh, defeating these enemies, and, um, and I think I'm just going to stay home this trip. He sends his warriors away to fight the battle, and he stays home, and he's idle, and idle, being too idle can be a problem, and he's 
idling. And he gets up on the rooftop there and he looks over on, I think, another adjoining rooftop or building there. And he notices a woman who's bathing. And her name is Bathsheba. Now, you know, with the Me Too movement, I don't want to say too much in this, but we don't know how innocent Bathsheba was in this either. You understand what I'm, I'm saying, but it appears that she was an innocent person in this picture that where he sees her. Did she know he was watching? I don't, I don't know. Beginning. But here's the problem. He had decided to pull back and not to walk in his purpose. He decided to pull back and not do what he had destined and called to do. Turned the army loose to go. And he says, I'll stay at home. Idle time. And in that time, then there's temptation right there before him. And when he sees that temptation and sees this woman, then things begin to happen in his mind. And he begins to, uh, he begins to fantasize, I'm sure. And then he begins to lust. Then he begins to scheme and he's caught up in a deception that, and here's what happens. And I've seen it happen over the years in my life and in the ministry and where people were doing so well and they loved God and they committed their life to Christ and their life had turned around and then the wrong person came to their life. And when that happens, there is, you have to understand, uh, the enemy is a deceiver. And what happens normally is when you, draw, when you get emotionally entangled or drawn into a relationship, your eyes physically drawn to a relationship, there's such a power deception that blinds you from all the other things around you. The consequences of your actions, those that you have in your arms, your family there. I've seen men turn away from loving wife and children who fall in that kind of deception. And this relationship brought tremendous, it distracted David completely away from what he was called and destined to do and even caused him to scheme and to bring about the death, the murder of her husband and try to lie about her pregnancy. But she gave birth to a son and there were consequences even that followed after that. All because it's true, folks. Old Testament, New Testament now, it's true that wrong destructions, wrong relationships can bring destruction in your life. It can distract you. You see, the truth is when God wants to build you up and encourage you and help you and strengthen you, he'll oftentimes bring someone into your life. And when the enemy wants to pull you down and destroy you and cause you to, be, uh, to miss your calling, your purpose, the devil will send someone to cross your paths. I guarantee you I have seen it so many times. That's why it's important for us to as believers, discern, be, be discerning, be careful about the people you have a relationship with, what level that relationship, be careful, cautious about that. You know, the Apostle Paul was not a strong proponent of marriage, and sometimes he kind of gets criticized for that. He actually, in essence, says it'd actually be better for you. Now, he's He's, he's practical. <laughs> he says it would really be better for you if you stay single. 
And he also was quite clear at times when he said, I know this is a difficult and hard saying. It's not for all of you. And he said, but it's better for you to marry than it is to burn. We used to think that that meant it's better for you to marry than burn hell. But that's not what that scripture means. It means it's better for you to marry than for you to burn with out-of-control passion for an individual. Lust. Attraction. But Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32, he says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. In other words, he's saying, I don't want you to be distracted by the things of this life. And then he goes on, next couple of verses, he says, because you see, if you're single, you can devote your time and attention and focus on God. But if you're married, you've got to be concerned about your wife and taking care of her and, you know, other things. You've got to take care of those things. And then he said the same thing about women. If you get married, you've got, you've got to care for your husband. You, got, you know, these things can... So he says, basically, it's better to be single if you can give your whole heart, your whole time, everything, but... You got to balance this with the word. When God saw Adam, it was, you know, Adam didn't ask for a wife. God saw that Adam needed a wife. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. The scripture says, it's a good thing for a man to find a wife. The right wife, good wife. Verse 35 says, I am saying this not to place restrictions on you, He's not asking anyone to become a Roman Catholic and be a priest. Because it didn't exist at that time anyway. But however, he didn't say you don't have to be celibate. He said, I'm just saying that you can devote all your attention. Remember, at this particular juncture in history, it was the belief of most of these Christians that Jesus Christ's return was imminent. Most of them expected him to return to earth during their lifetime. And so he's saying, let's make this time count. Don't lose your focus. Don't be distracted. Jesus is coming. We need to share the gospel. That was his heart. He wasn't trying. He wasn't anti-marriage. He just says, I'm saying this not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best. So I can say, if you come together, husband and wife, and that relationship, it should help you serve the Lord best. When you're married, you don't serve the Lord as an individual. You serve him as one, two together, one in Christ. Great place for an amen. Great place for a good amen. Sorry, I should have been more specific. Thank you. So you need to be in a relationship that helps you serve the Lord the best you can and as few distractions as possible. Strong words in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, where Paul says, I meant that you're not to really associate or have close associations with anyone who claims to be a believer and yet indulges in sexual sin, is greedy, or worships idols, abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. That sounds almost harsh and judgmental, doesn't it? He doesn't say don't be with people at all like that. He just says if a person is is professing believer, says I'm a believer, and yet they're living this contradictory life, if you hang out with them, then that's going to give credence to them and to their faith, and you you just really need to not associate with people who are living that lifestyle and claiming to be a believer. Strong. Now, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, he said, 
Paul said, don't be unequally yoked. You know, a yoke, a yoke of oxen, two animals yoked together. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship is righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? Can two walk together unless they be agreed? No. So there are healthy relationships and there's toxic relationships. God uses good relationships to bring about his very best. The enemy uses bad relationships to keep you from God's very relationships. Now, Relationships can be an asset or a liability. So it's important for you to discern because folks, listen, this is important. When it comes to relationships, you can be selective without being judgmental. That is an extremely important truth. When it comes to having and developing relationships, you can be selective and not be judgmental. Let's ask ourselves some relationship Let's take a relationship test. As far as whether a relationship, how a relationship can distract a person. Let's take a relationship test. Number one, how does this relationship, how does it affect my relationship with God? So if you're in some type of relationship, considering a type of a relationship with someone, someone is, is coming into your life, is affecting your life, you, you're drawn to them, whatever level that is, you need to ask yourself, you, you know, how is this relationship going to, how is it going to affect my relationship with God? Is God going to be the center of our relationship? Is this going to make me less interested in worship and in the word? Can I be open about my faith around them? Do they share my faith? Do I feel free to worship around them? We notice this sometimes that, that, uh, in, in worship service, if people invite a guest or a friend in, and sometimes it's, it's not just young people, but a lot of times with young people, they'll have a guest or a friend to come in with them and everything. And they, uh, I, don't, I don't know whether they're just afraid their friend's going to freak out or anything, but they're a lot more reserved. You know, normally they might worship, lift their hands, sing and everything, but they let that person affect their worship. Now, you don't have to be really weird or strange or try to make a point, you know, being crazy about it. But that relationship, they should learn to be comfortable with you. If you're a worshiper, they should be comfortable with you worshiping. In fact, they should worship with you. If a relationship pulls you away from the Lord or causes you to limit your time with him or worship, then that's a dangerous relationship. Second question is, does that relationship isolate me from others? Sometimes there are people that, that, that are so, we say, clingy, that when they're in a relationship, it has to be about them and no one else. I've seen relationships before of a young man, young woman, and uh, one particularly comes to mind many years ago, where the woman, I mean, they, I think they cared about one another, and this, this, the man was an outgoing, personable, loved his family, always liked being out doing things with the family and everything. But then here, along comes girlfriend. And girlfriend's a good person. He is. He's fine. They seem to care about one another. But this girl person is, she's, this girl is, 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 is a girl person. <laughs> I won't go any further with that either. But 
Uh, when, when they come to this relationship here, uh, she begins to demand all his attention and wants to just do things with just him, not with any of their friends, not with any of his friends, and not with his family. That is a huge flag, red flag. If you're in a relationship that causes you to, that causes you to be isolated from the others that you care about, and that's a problem. It'll be even a bigger problem if you continue in that relationship and nothing changes. The third thing you need to ask yourself is, is there a constant drama? <laughs> you realize this could make up, each question could make up an entire message, but is there constant drama? Because if you're in a relationship where there's always, you know, drama, it saps your energy. It destroys your creativity. Next, do you feel, often feel manipulated? Let me tell you, manipulation is like witchcraft. When manipulation is straight from the devil. Be very careful about this thing of manipulation, about flattery. Oftentimes, these people, uh, uh, people will seem to be needy. I just need you. I need your help. And, and, and sometimes people, that are, they're caring people and they have someone they like, want to be with. If that person is needy and needs help, it's their heart to help them. And they're drawn in and manipulated into a situation trying to help that person. But it isn't helping them. It's enabling them. Don't compromise with God in order to keep that relationship Never lose your identity for another person's sake. Never compromise your character for another person. When it comes to healthy relationships, it starts with a spiritual relationship, one you have with God. Second, there needs to be a genuine trust between those individuals. There needs to be a mutual caring, a like, or love for one another. There should be an unselfishness, giving and forgiving and patient. And encouraging, and there should be good communication. You know, a healthy relationship is one in which there's a balance in give and take and in mutual appreciation. The truth is, as difficult as it may be, there can often be times when we must cut off or discontinue unhealthy relationships. And the more you get emotionally entangled, and especially people today who get physically entangled with someone in a relationship, it happens so quickly with them that, that, that these, this, this emotional attachment and sometimes sexual uh, attraction or even involvement basically wraps around them like chains. And they're already in that relationship so deep, so far, so, so emotional that it just essentially feels like it's impossible to break it off. happens. That's why it's important as believers, catch these early. Don't be drawn into these type of destructive relationships. Learn to discern them. Help those people. Love them. Try to be available to them. It's not that you're against them. You love them. Christ loves them. That, that's not what this is about. We don't judge them, but you cannot walk in a close relationship with that person and still maintain a healthy relationship with the Lord and Become what God wants you to become. That's just the truth. As hard as that may to hear, be to hear sometimes, you know, 
People stay in bad relationships for all kinds of reasons. Over the years, I've found that many people uh, stay in bad relations because of insecurity. I've watched young women at times who would have a boyfriend or a fiance or whatever, and that, that young man or fiance would treat her like dirt. I mean, it was just, it, you know, and, and she accepted it. And after a little while, she just got to where that he dictated to her who she was, and she just became what she had heard from him, that she really wasn't worthy, that no one else would really want her, care about her. And she gets to believing that. So then she becomes the needy one, and she wants that relationship, and she'll do whatever is necessary to have that relationship. Listen, that guy doesn't deserve that guy doesn't deserve to have that relationship with a woman like that. That woman needs, you know, dads, moms, you must guard over your children and over your teenagers. You must guard over them, watch their relationships, and sow these things in their lives and help them to see that they're accepted by the Lord. Help them to see their identity in Him. Help them to know that you love them. Help them to feel that, that they're secure. And they don't just have to fall for the first person that comes along and seems to pay them any attention. They don't have to get drawn to these kind of relationships just to be popular. They need your help. They may not always want it. But this is so important because it can damage their lives and, and damage their, their future relationships. So I, I, I'll have to stop off right there. That's so very important though. I'm, I'm going to close with this. I want to point out this is so practical today. I just want to mention that if a person is caught up in an unhealthy relationship, and maybe you're not, but maybe you know someone who is or a family member is, maybe these, this is a type of thing. Well, this message you, is, is going to be archived and everything, and certainly you can say, hey, go listen to this message and see what you think about it. But you may just want to share some of these truths that there are certain steps that have to be taken. If there's an unhealthy relationship going on, then something has to be done about it. Oftentimes we just think, oh, that's okay. God loves them, and I care about them, so it'll be all right. How many times have I heard a woman say, I know that he doesn't really serve the Lord like I do. I'm not sure whether he's a Christian or not, but, I, but I, you know, once we get married, he'll change. Never seen that happen. I'm sure it may have. Never seen that happen. Not one time. But she was so anxious to get married that she made excuses. And she was deceived into believing that everything was going to be all right. We're not legalistic about this sort of thing, but when God lays down certain principles to follow, if we follow them, it's a way of blessing. If we don't follow them, there are other consequences. It's just the truth. And some people say, God, why did this happen to me? Because you made a stupid decision. That's the way it is a lot of times. God, why? Why did you do that to me? Thank God for his mercy. Well, I'm not sure I, well, I don't have that much mercy. I should and I want to, but I, you know, thank God he's been merciful to me. I would have given up on me a long time ago. <laughs> Steps to cut off unhealthy relationships. Number one, acknowledge the reality of an out-of-balance relationship. Acknowledge. This is out-of-balance. This, this is wrong. Secondly, trust God to help you, to help you realize that this relationship is becoming detrimental to your relationship with God. 
and to the, to the health of your family life, to the rest of your family and to your ministry and to business. Trust God to help you realize what's going on. Thirdly, don't try to be God to another person. There's a huge difference between helping a person and carrying a person. And a lot of people are drawn in relationships because they really want to help somebody. Beware. Number four, you need to always know that it won't be easy. Once you get emotionally entangled or close to someone and everything, it's not an easy thing most of the time, practically all the time, to make a break. Won't be easy. Fifth, do the best you can not to burn bridges, all the bridges. In other words, you may have to cut off that particular kind of relationship that you have with them. You may have to pull away, but don't give up on that person in any way that you can without being entangled back into a relationship. Keep praying for them, care about them, reach out in ways that are appropriate. And finally, just make up your mind that by God's grace, you're going to move forward. Get out of that relationship and move forward because God has something so much better for you out there if you'll be patient, pray for it, believe, and wait for it. Don't settle for second best. Don't settle for leftovers. Don't settle for someone that... Uh, uh, that will maybe meet certain needs in your life right now, but you know down deep inside that this is out of balance. This will not fit into my life if I'm to pursue God's will and purpose and calling on my life. This is so very important. Wow, this was different today. We're all happy and rejoicing and strong and hallelujah and everything, and then I come along. <laughs> but it's all the Word of God. I, I'm not trying to share personal opinions here. This is all based upon what I believe to be principles that are taught throughout the Scripture. And we need healthy relationships. We all need them. Marriages need help. There's probably some couples here in this building right now that you love the Lord that you care about one another. You're not divorce-minded right now, but you know that you need help. You know things can improve in your marriage. Maybe you've got relationships that kind of entangling right now for you or that, that you're dealing with right now. Maybe as a parent, you're concerned about your children and, and friends relationships they have. And this is a time to hear these, the truth and time to begin to ask the Holy Spirit to help you respond to it. And just do what the Lord shares for us to do. And it'll always be the best. Always.